This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to self-work. As promised, we're going to be talking about perfectly hidden depression today. I've had several episodes on it and it's definitely the most popular of my podcasts. In fact, thousands of you have listened in. Just to let you know a little bit about me, I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been in practice now. It's 2018. I've been in practice for 25 years. And I love what I do, and I decided when I started podcasting last year that I wanted to expand the walls of my practice to include people who weren't sitting in front of me on the sofa or in a chair. It's not always a sofa. (laughs) Maybe people who are already interested in therapy, perhaps seeing a psychologist or a mental health practitioner, but also to people who might never have even thought about it, but are curious about what someone like me might have to say. Today, again, we're talking about something I'm very passionate about, perfectly hidden depression, and I have some great news that I want to share with you, but I probably can't do it till another couple of podcast episodes because there's no signature on the dotted line quite as of yet, but something that I'm extremely grateful for and honored by has happened, and you'll be the first to know as soon as I can talk about it. If you identify today with perfectly hidden depression, I'd love to hear from you. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. All of that is confidential, and I will get back with you. But today, we're going to be talking about the process of change in perfectly hidden depression. How do you actually take off your mask and start being who you know yourself to be? I've come up with some basic steps that are really involved in any healing But there are very specific directions for someone with perfectly hidden depression. The overall structure of that healing is what I've termed the five C's of healing. Then we'll get back to what's more specific about perfectly hidden depression, what I call a deconstruction process. Basically, you don't want to blow up the whole building, (laughs) meaning yourself, in trying to change. You want to change one thing at a time. We'll talk more about that. Our regular feature, an email from a listener, is from a listener today whose spouse told them that they still love them, but they aren't in love with them. And how do you handle that? So welcome to Self Work. Today, we're going to be talking about perfectly hidden depression and taking off that mask. Perfectionism, over-responsibility, discounting painful emotion or past trauma, chastising yourself if you're not counting your blessings, always being there for others, but sharing very little of who you really are or what problems you might have. These are five of the 10 traits of perfectly hidden depression. If you're interested in hearing about more of them, they're actually listed in, I believe, episode 30. What perfectly hidden depression is, it's a syndrome that I've been writing about for almost four years now. These traits ensure that whatever perfectionistic mask you're wearing, it stays on tightly. Within the last few months, the need for identifying the danger of perfectly hidden depression has become more evident. 
There are researchers like Paul Hewitt of the University of British Columbia that's sounding the cry that perfectionism can obviously be a helpful trait, but can also be linked with increases in self-dissatisfaction and even stress on the body. Basically, the harder you are on yourself, the more you analyze every detail of a situation, the less satisfied you may be with the outcome, and then your body responds in kind. But it's also being shown with research that perfectionism can cause even greater damage, fatal damage. Several studies have shown a strong correlation, again, between perfectionism and suicide. There was one study, for example, that showed that 70% of 33 boys and young men who had killed themselves were described by their parents as placing, quote-unquote, exceedingly high demands on themselves. Gordon Flett, who's just written a book on perfectionism, who's also a lead researcher, states, Other than those people who have suffered greatly because of their perfectionism or the perfectionism of a loved one, the average person has very little understanding or awareness of how destructive perfectionism can be. I will add a link to his new book called Perfectionism, A Relational Approach to Conceptualization, Assessment, and Treatment. Sounds like a sort of a heady title. (laughs) Yet, why is this so scary? It's scary because perfectionistic people are really good at hiding pain. I obviously have no idea, for example, what was in the mind and the heart of the young Washington State quarterback who recently committed suicide. What I do know is that no one, no one thought he was depressed or certainly had suicidal thoughts. We'll all be thinking about his family, of course. But what would cause someone with perfectly hidden depression to want to change? or to be able to reveal themselves and take off their mask. What my own patients and hundreds of emails that I've gotten have shared, it's when the burden of isolation, the despair of closeted-off feelings, or the suicidal urges to end the charade become too great. That's when someone with PhD or perfectly hidden depression might come into a therapist's office for help, tell a good friend, or tell a parent about their struggles. Yet, those therapists, those friends, and those parents have to see it. They have to know that perfectly hidden depression exists. They have to recognize that depression doesn't always look the same. It's not always melancholy or agitation. It's not always lack of engagement with the world or isolation. It can be perfectly hidden. So what's the answer? If those with perfectly hidden depression actually want to heal, what are the steps to change? I would say that there are five steps, steps perhaps basic for all change to take place. Yet there are specific directions, again, as I said in the intro, that someone with perfectly hidden depression must travel to heal. I've termed those basic five steps the five C's of healing. First, there's consciousness. You have to identify a problem as a problem before you can change it, right? You have to begin to understand and accept that it's having a painful impact on both you and your relationships. And then specifically with perfectly hidden depression, you have to recognize that you've been hiding your true experience of life for years, creating instead a persona that looks good to others and has served to keep you safe. So we go from consciousness to commitment. So this second step, commitment, is a process that will be difficult and not only involve change with yourself, but change with others. 
for someone with perfectly hidden depression, there can be immense fear experienced during this stage, which has to be confronted and worked through, or that fear will get in the way of treatment actually working, or whether you're being treated by someone or you're simply trying to help yourself get better. The more fear you have, the more you sense that you may lose a lot of things, then that fear can overwhelm you. So we go from commitment to connection. This is connection with emotions, perhaps long unrecognized or accepted, especially with perfectly hidden depression. There's likely to be trauma present in someone's history or some kind of childhood learning or experience that has created this avoidance and denial of painful feelings. The goal becomes to unravel what has been over-compartmentalized and stuffed away for many years. Then almost at the same time, the fourth step is taking shape, confrontation. This is confrontation of irrational beliefs, denial, avoidance, whatever is holding you back from moving in a direction where you can grow. Learning how to have more control of where your mind can take you is a vital skill for anyone, and especially for someone whose perfectionistic and highly critical yardstick is constantly present, its voice measuring each word and each action. During steps three and four, again, that is connection and confrontation, there is an ongoing process that I've termed in the treatment for perfectly hidden depression called deconstruction and reconstruction. So before you think that's too complicated, think about the game of the old game of pickup sticks or the more recent one of Jenga. The strategy to win involves a careful assessment of what stick or what Jenga piece you can remove without the entire thing crashing down around you. Someone with perfectly hidden depression faces this very challenge. You decide where to begin the change and slowly and with compassion for yourself, take down the persona piece by piece and replace it or reconstruct it with a healthier, more open and more vulnerable self. So what exactly does this sound like? When deconstruction is beginning, I hear words like this from my patients. In fact, I'm practically quoting a couple of them, actually. Well, this isn't really a big deal, but I wanted you to know that I stopped myself from changing the subject like I've always done before. Instead, I told my husband I was getting mad. I actually told him how I was feeling. So you can hear this change It's basically the confrontation of the habit to avoid conflict and to stay hidden. Here's one more example. This may not really matter all that much, but I looked at some old pictures last week. I was six. The first thought I had was how many mistakes that child would make. How would it be better if he could stay a child? Why is that the thing that comes to mind? And tears came to my patient's eyes. In this example, you can hear the growing awareness of that highly critical perfectionism, and you can feel the sadness that that connection brings. Now, you'll notice that both of these people discounted these changes. They seemed small, and yet these very small realizations and beginning risks are huge for someone with perfectly hidden depression. It is through these small risks that that mask slowly begins to erode. And what's the fifth step? The fifth step is simply change. Change in what you do, in what you say, in what you feel, which is where you get your hope. You can see that you aren't trapped by your past 
and that you can look ahead to a future without feeling so lonely and disconnected. That very change, those small steps taken to undo or deconstruct the patterns of perfectionism and hiding and to risk or rebuild new ones, they lead to the cycle renewing itself. So if you think of the cycle as consciousness, commitment, connection, confrontation, and change, almost like they are all connected by a circle, then that cycle starts renewing itself. Each change leads to more consciousness, more commitment, more connection, more confrontation, and more compassion for yourself and others. What I like to tell my patients is that it's kind of like going on a hike that you've never been on. You've got a map, but you really don't know where you exactly want to go. And you make the decisions of where you want to go by the travel itself, by the hiking. The journey itself begins to change what you think. You may get tired. You may have renewed energy. You may get lost. (laughs) So all of that, you learn as you go. And that's a lot what this work is like because you're trying to take off that mask and you really don't know how that's going to feel until you begin doing it. It's been there a long time. But what can be so freeing is there can be no longer a need for that mask and that hiding. So just once again, to recap, from consciousness, commitment, connection, confrontation, and then change. Those are the basic steps of healing. And then perfectly hidden depression has its own very specific struggles within that change cycle. I'll be talking more about the actual specifics in future podcasts. Also, if you wonder where you might fit on the PhD spectrum, there is a questionnaire in, I believe, episode three. Now, if you go there and listen to episode three, or there'll be a link on my show notes as well, please know that I was doing my own editing back then. (laughs) And so uh, it's a little probably primitive, (laughs) but it has the information, or like I say, in the show notes as well. Our email from a listener today is short and sweet. Good day. My wife and I have recently separated, and I've been told she loves me, but is not in love. Do you have any suggestions or reading material that may help us in this area? Please let me know. And my answer is pretty short and sweet as well. Hello, it certainly sounds as if you and your wife are in a terrifically painful place. I've written on this topic, as it's common for someone to say that in my office or to say that that's what's happened to them. If there's not already someone else involved or your wife has been drawn to someone else, then some frank discussions of what's gone wrong in your relationship is a must. Your best stance is to try and understand how she's feeling. What about the relationship feels empty to her? And work with her on these problems. The idea that you've written me is a great sign that you tried to remain open to the idea rather than becoming defensive. That's a huge plus. You know, sometimes relationships can become stagnant And you can lose that in-love feeling. I do have an episode on that very topic. It's episode 42, How to Fall Back in Love and Make Sure You Stay. And I also have several blog posts on it at drmargaretrutherford.com, my website. Also, a good book is called Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay. 
It's on Amazon, and it takes a very objective look at the process of divorce, if indeed that's a discussion the two of you are having. But I like the book because the author actually interviewed people who both stayed and people who divorced and get them to look at it retrospectively. What would they have changed? What did they think about that was good? What did they forget to think about? All that kind of thing. So it's a very objective book. It's not pro-marriage or pro-divorce. I liked this email because one of the things that I tell people all the time, if their partner has told them that they don't know about the future of the relationship, is that they'll look at me and say, you know, I don't have any choice here. Well, my take is, yes, you do. You have a choice whether you march to an attorney's office and file for divorce yourself, whether you call the children and tell them what a crummy person your spouse is, whether you wreak havoc with friendships, whether you hire a detective, whether you sit down and talk with them and try to understand. You have lots of choices. Yes, you've been told something that hurts and that is frightening to you, but you still have a lot of choice. And perhaps that very kind of commitment to not being defensive and to try to hang in there is what your spouse needs to see. So if you've listened to my podcast before, you know that I talk a lot about what can you do about it. And there's actually things that you can do to try to reassure your spouse that you'll do whatever necessary to save the marriage. And if, of course, that's not possible, what my experience has shown that those people who don't get defensive, who don't get attacking, will go on and build better lives for themselves. I'd love for more of you to write me. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. It's very confidential, and I will answer you. So far, I'm not getting so many that I can't answer them, but they're coming in more and more frequently, which I love, because I have no way of knowing who you are. The only statistics that are available to me are where you're from. And at this point, it's wonderful to see I've got people from all over the world listening. But there are other ways to get in touch with me. Again, my website is drmargaretrutherford.com. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret. I'm on Instagram. There are plenty of ways to reach out to me. And thank you so much to the handful of people who have gotten on iTunes and left me a rating since I last podcast. I really, really appreciate it. In fact, I'm very grateful. Love for you to write more reviews in that that gives people a little more information than simply a rating. But whatever you have time for is great. And you can do all of that anonymously as well. You can do that on iTunes, or you can do that anywhere you listen. And of course, I love subscriptions. My subscriptions went way up last week. Now, they tend to go up and down, but it was the highest number I'd ever reached, so I was excited, because that just tells me people are interested enough to where they want to know about the next podcast. Speaking of the next podcast, i am actually got my act together, and I know what it's going to be about. We're going to talk about self-esteem and how not to beat yourself up so much. I'm going to use some stories of real patients of mine who were struggling and these ideas or exercises that we came up with to help them. So maybe they can be helpful to you as well. Again, I so appreciate you being a listener to Self Work, and I'd love to hear from you, even if it's just to write me about what you would like for me to talk about. That would be great as well. So thanks for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret. And again, you've been listening to Self Work. Work.